Thank you for listening to BLC's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. Brought to you by Patrick Jerry. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. Many in my mind word that I have preached before. And um, I think 98% of you have never heard this word from me before, most probably 99%. So there's a bit of sameness for 1% of you. Um, but... Um, I will question you afterwards if you really <laughs> put a few differences in the word. But it's from Isaiah, so not from Isaiah, it's from Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll start off with one verse, and then we'll, we will recap from the past and we'll move into the future. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And Lord, we ask you this morning to work by your Spirit and enlighten the eyes of our heart and understanding that we may see the greatness of the salvation, that our eyes may behold and see and marvel at all that you have accomplished God, you're the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you're our Father. And you're the Father of glory. And so we ask that we may know the hope of our calling, the, that we may know the, the inheritance that we have. And now, by your Spirit and by your Word, we ask you for a powerful action in our hearts and in our minds that we may grasp the immeasurable greatness of your power and work within your word, by your spirit, in hearts and minds, illumine our minds, take hold of our longings and desires, galvanize our wills, and bring us into a place of expectation where we've never been before. Amen. Hallelujah. So, uh, this particular verse of Scripture, and I've been doing a study of Ephesians, and there's a, um, there's a backdrop. But Paul prays a prayer, and then he unbundles the prayer in his teaching. Paul was, uh, first of all, not a great missionary. He was, first of all, a great prayer. And then he prayed, and then he preached, and then he prayed some more, and then he preached and so his preaching comes out of his praying. And, um, and he prays for eyes to be opened to the greatness of God's power that raised Jesus from the dead and in a sense has brought you and I into heavenly places seated in him. But this particular verse and why I've been camping on this verse for a while is that it's a, a summary of the gospel. And... I want to unbundle it in three ways. And I want to address who you were and now who you are. And thirdly, how you became who you are. All right. And so, infamous for bunny trails, we'll seek to stay on track and um, follow the Holy Spirit and not my, and not my nose. Uh, <laughs> 
But who you are, who you are, and so it starts off. I'm going to do a very brief recap. It talks about our condition in Ephesians chapter two, verses about one to five, and it says that you were dead in your sins. You were a dead man walking. Uh, that was your condition, dead in your sins. In a sense, you were without. What is death? What is death? Death is not just the absence of breathing. Death is in contrast to life. And life is to be in a relationship with God. That's what life is. And so when you're out of a relationship with God, you're in death. And so that was the lot of these Ephesian Gentiles. Um, and the backdrop of the story, which I won't go into, is Jew and Gentile. And uh, in a sense, Gentile doesn't join Jew. Jew and Gentile join in a new man, in a new work of God. And so he's, he's got church difficulties, and, which we don't quite have today. But he's got that as the, the backdrop of what he's doing. And so you were a dead man walking. You were dead, in a sense, to the life of God. You, John Stott puts it this way. You were as unresponsive as a corpse. That was, your, that was your state. You were dead, 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 dead. Okay, you've got that one. And the reason is that we were part of this world and its system. And essentially this entire world, and it's called the world, it's, it's without, it does not factor or figure in God at all. Doesn't figure him in, and so you're squeezed into this world's mold, and you suddenly look at sociological changes that take place, and then, wow, goodness, how do we get from here to over here? How can gender become the big deal today? And 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 50 degrees of um, of uh, gender factors coming into how how did all this happen? And so you look in perplexity upon this world, but. This world is operating according to an agenda all over the place. It's all its systems of money and marriage and everything. It's operating according to an agenda. And we were part of this world. We were, as um, J.B. Phillips says, we were being squeezed into its mold. We were in shape by this world. And then he goes on to say, in a sense, behind this world and the systems, there are the unseen hidden powers at work. In a sense, you could put up a big danger sign and say Satan at work. So you've got principalities and powers at work formulating things. And he says, you were part of that. And you were trapped in the flesh. And trapped in the flesh means you can say, no, 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 no. Yes. Somewhere along the line, you will buckle. Because salvation is not about no, 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 no. Sin resisted grows stronger. And so God replaces our pleasures. And before I go down that road, let me finish this part of the scripture. And so he says, that's who you were. Children of disobedience, like a, a spirit working of darkness, working within the people of our age and of our world. And then it says, and you are children of wrath. You are under the wrath of God, God's holy hatred against sin. And it's, it's not, he, he's not up in the heaven somewhere folding his arms. Oh, no, there they go again. He looks at the, the deviant patterns and behavior 
and the evil and the suffering, and he's not inactive. There will be that great day. But before that great day, he is powerfully active. The wrath of God, in a sense, is upon sin with a holy hatred. And you and I were in that crew. We were under the wrath of God, uh, the anger of God, dead, dead men walking, locked into the principalities and powers in this world. And then you have the, the magic words, but God, but God, Bill, I heard a report about you quite a while ago, and I want to tell you, it sounded hopeless when you fell off the ladder and you're in hospital and so many things are broken and so much trouble. But I want to say to you, between there and now, but God, but God, but God, we are the people of the but God. We're not the people of, oh, our bad things. Yeah, uh, somebody sent me a, a clip on the revival in New York in 1857. It was a two-minute clip. It's absolutely magnificent. And, and I sort of said, God can do it again. There's a but God. And so keep but God in your mind. Whenever somebody's, you know, somebody, I, I was reading John Wesley's diary years ago. And he spoke about, I think it was Newcastle, the dreadful state of the sinful people of Newcastle. And, and he, he sort of listed all their horrendous crimes and sins. And then he wrote there as his final thing, ripe for revival. He had a but God in his mind. So have within your mind a but God. But, but to try and keep us on track over here, this is who you were. This is who you are. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, has made us alive together with Christ. Made us alive. That's the but God. He's made us alive. I'd love to camp there, but not today. Um, I was talking to Malalan Larskul a few months ago. And I said, you're, you're in Christ Jesus. His story is your story. I thought they don't really get it. And so I said to him, yes, Christ. And they got that. And I said, yes, you. And they sort of got that. And I said, there you are. Where are you? And these little, little kids said, in Christ, we're, we're, we're the glasses. We're in, we're, in, we're in Christ. I said, you got it. You're in Christ. And I want to tell you this morning, you may, I don't know what else you're going to get out of the sermon, but that's where you are. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. It wasn't some sort of uh, good idea, pull your socks up Christianity. The mighty power of God got to work in you. And you're in Christ Jesus. You're made alive in him. You're raised in him. You have been seated in him in heavenly places. That's the greatness of our salvation. That's, in a sense, that's who you were. This is now who you are. Hallelujah. Praise God. Better take these glasses out. Good to meet you, Patrick. Just make sure that you go back into in Christ. And then he comes to us. That was dealing with our condition. Then he comes to, a, uh, to these Ephesians, and he's talking about their status. And he says, you were, 
you cut off from the life of Christ. You, and I've got a bit muddled up, you can read in verse 11 and 12. You were cut off from the life of Christ. That was your state, you Ephesian Gentiles. Cut off from the life of Christ. You were foreigners, you were aliens. Uh, My son phoned me about two days ago, and he's on the phone, he's chatting to me, he's walking from work to home. And as he's walking, he says, "Hey, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, do you know what's going on in Green Market Square? I said, yes. He says, well, I don't. Tell me what's going on. I said, all the refugees are camping in Green Market Square and making it their home. He said, oh. (laughs) So I said, watch your cell phone and walk fast. (laughs) That's most probably not true. You were aliens. You were refugees. You were stateless. You were homeless. You were without hope. You were without Christ. You were without God. That was your state. And, And he says, but now... That was then, but now. Hallelujah. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You just give me a a little amen. Amen. Praise God. You've been brought near. You were strangers to the covenant. That's that's who you were. But now you've been brought near. And and it's marvelous the way Paul, he magnifies the greatness of our salvation through contrast. So he uses contrast to actually show the magnificence of our salvation. And uh, he uses Old Testament language, brought near. Why was it brought near? Well, the language is the language of the temple. And so you had the, the outer court where the Jews were. You had the sort of the, uh, the inner place where the priests were. And then you had the holiest of all, the holy place of all, where the, only the high priest would go in. He could only go in once a year. And he took an ox, I think, and he slaughtered the ox. And he took the blood in from him and his family into, the, into this holy place. And then there were two goats, and the one were, had all the sins of the people, in a sense, transmitted to it. His hands were laid on, and then it was slaughtered. And then the other goat was it's sins, your sins put on it and everybody's sins put on it and it was sent into it like a demonic place into the wilderness and it's the scapegoat and uh, then he had bells at the bottom of his clothes and he got jingle, jingle, jingle and a rope around his leg in case the offering of blood was not accepted so he had a, a rope around so they could actually drag him out because that's not a place where you want to go so they could actually pull him out if he died, and I suppose they're at the door, they're listening, and jingle, 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 jingle. The blood is presented with, the glory appears, and jingle, jingle, jingle. He's coming out, jingle, jingle, jingle. Oh, our sacrifice has been accepted for another year. I want to tell you, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He has gone in to the holiest place of all and he's, he's 
precious blood has cleansed that place and brought near is not sort of like, oh, brought near. Brought near. Oh, there's physical transformation as you've been restored in your body. But the Lord has spared you. Like the psalmist in Psalm 73, where he comes to the end of a real difficult period. And he says, as for me, the nearness of God is my good. And, and the Lord has spared you physically. And all of a sudden, your GPS locks in on the nearness of God. Okay. Hallelujah. That's for him and that's for us as well. And so it's no longer the once a year story. We are brought near now into the very presence of God to see him face to face. It is ours. That's the glory of the gospel. That's the sheer wonder of the gospel. Uh, and we were strangers to the covenants. I love reading of all things uh, Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. It talks about, and Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. And then it goes on to give his genealogy. So why son of David, son of Abraham? Because there are two mighty covenants in the Old Testament. The covenant with Abraham and the covenant with David. They're like two mighty rivers that flow. And, and they flow into this, the greatest of all rivers uh, which is the covenant of grace in Christ Jesus. They flow into him. So he's the, he's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. And, um, and we, he's writing to the Ephesians, you're no longer strangers to the covenants. No longer strangers to the covenants. And this morning I was listening to, to Daryl as he was reading the scriptures. And he, and he spoke about the blood of the new covenant. I will make a new covenant. You're no longer far off, cut off, aliens, refugees, stateless, homeless, unwanted. Uh, just imagine what it is outside of Christ. You've got no hope. Gunny glani. I hope so. Which is a sort of an iffy little, that's not biblical hope. Imagine that you're without hope. All of a sudden, you're no longer a stranger to the covenant, but you have received the new covenant through Christ's blood. You're part of the covenant. Um, and so, there are blessings in this new covenant, and I only want to camp in on one of them. You can read it in Hebrews and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all over the place. What are these blessings? Well, I will establish a new covenant. I will put my laws in your minds. I will write them in your hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will be merciful to them in their sins and I'll remember them no more. We suddenly, we inherit the blessings of the new covenant in his love. But the one that I left out is it says there, and they shall all know me. Hallelujah. It's good to be saved from our sins. And, and most of us here know to be habitually in bondage to sin. And oh, if only, if only. We understand the dynamics of sin messing us up, polluting us, uh, controlling us, and a power that's upon us, and driving us mad with guilt. We understand the horror story of sin. 
Well, salvation. Uh, he forgives our sins. He remembers them no more. And that's part of his covenant with us. But salvation doesn't end there. It doesn't even end with reconciliation. It ratchets up to the ultimate purpose of your salvation and my salvation. The greatest blessing of being in the covenant is that they shall all know me, that we can know God as Father. Hallelujah. You can know God as Father. And that's, that's the glory of our salvation. That's the pinnacle. That's the peak. If, if I had time, we could cruise on to, uh, I think it's uh, Ephesians 2 verse 18. We have access to the Father through Jesus and by the Spirit. Well, we're not going to go there now, but that's, a, that's, that's, that's the ultimate. That's, the, total, that's the, the purpose of your salvation is that you can know God as Father. Hallelujah. That's the glory of the gospel. And so in, in uh, Romans 8 verse 15, it says there, we have, we have not been given a, a spirit of slavery um, resulting in fear, but we have been given a spirit of sonship enabling us to cry, Abba, Father. Uh, the, 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 the Abba cry is a genuine cry brought about by the Spirit inside of us. But the Spirit works within us, the Spirit of Jesus inside of us, connecting us with the Father. The Spirit is at work within us powerfully. And you need to, all, what do you need to do? Just turn. Just turn your affection to your Father. Tell Him that you love Him. So, so my son phones me in, what's it not, in Cape Town, and then he's kicking his heels. He's flying off to pee. Later, they're like, oh, Dad, just chew the fat. How things going? I love to hear his voice. Love to hear his voice. Love the, 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 the no real reason how you're doing, Dad. Um, this is what's going down. I love to hear his voice. Your heavenly Father loves to hear your voice. So if he phones me and he's messed up, I still want to hear his voice. I still want to hear his voice. It doesn't change the affection of my heart. Turn your affection to him. On your good days and on your bad days, on your upbeat days and on your downbeat days, on your every days, turn your affection to him and pour out your heart to him. He's your father. He knows everything about you. He knows where you're going to be at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. He knows when you're going to transition from here to glory in Jesus. He knows. Turn your affection to him. Don't turn yourself to him on the basis of your behavior. Because as you turn your affection to him, he will be changing your behavior. Yeah, you've got to work with him. He'll change your behavior. You're turning your affection to him. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in Romans 8 verse 15. It's the Abba cry. The Abba cry is more than just the word Abba. It is the whole thrust of your life. Telling your father that you love him. You love him. Hallelujah. I love you, Father. I loved one of the songs, I think, composed by John Wimber, who was really a, a God lover. And he, he wrote a song, Father, you're my portion in this life. 
You are my hope and my delight. And I love you. Oh, I love you. Hallelujah. You can turn a song towards him. Just turn your heart. Tell him that you love him. Uh, turn your affections there to him. It says there in Malachi, I think the last couple of verses of Malachi chapter 4, in the last days I'll come and pour out my spirit and I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. We are in a, in a, a moment throughout the world where God is working by his spirit. He's turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and, he's, and it starts with the heavenly father. Turning the hearts of the father to the children, turning the hearts of the children to the father. I love you. But Romans 16 talks about another work of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 15 is telling us uh, that the Spirit is at work within us to cry up our Father, to tell our Father that we love Him, turn our affections towards Him. But Romans 8 verse 16 says, and the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There, what is happening now is that the Spirit is telling you inside you that God loves you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. About 350 years ago, I've forgotten his name, one of the Puritans. I wasn't around 350 years ago. <laughs> but it was a Puritan, Haldine, I think, Haldine, I think's his name. And that's all right. Even when we like that, that's fine. He loves us. And so Haldine said, at the moment of your baptism in the Holy Spirit, yes, there's speaking in tongues, there's overflow, prophecy, laughter, whatever happened to you. There is the evidential overflow. But deep within your being, there is the Spirit of God saying to you that the Father loves you. The Spirit bears witness saying that He loves you. And because so many of your faces are strangers to me, when in 1973, I think January or February 73, I was on Nahoon Beach, East London, talking to a surfer, Chaba, and I knew he was a Christian. I said, how do you get this Holy Spirit? Bing, bing. And he said, well, you know, Pat, if you, if you, the scripture says, if you've been evil, self-centered, now to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your father want to give good gifts to you? And I said, yeah. He says, so, just go and pray and ask the Father, your Father, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I said, yes. And he said, and then speak in a language which is not English or Afrikaans. I said, oh. <laughs> I was renting a flat for 25 rand a month. I was so poor that I could see my stomach muscles. Obviously, you can see, I have not been blighted in such a bad way since then. So I got down on my knees, and I said, Father, give me the gift of your Holy Spirit. I wasn't in a church. Give me the gift of your Holy Spirit. And give me this gift of speaking in tongues. And it came out like a Gregorian chant. It just came flowing out. But the tongues was not the big deal. 
that this part of me had been a frozen waste for 20 years, just mangled by sin. I, I think the last time I cried when I was like 13. And, uh, you know, my father died. I didn't even cry then. You know, you're just a frozen waste. All of a sudden, I got from my knees. And I walked over to the, the mirror in my room. And I said to me in the mirror, I said, you are a son of God. Because the, the Spirit was bearing witness. And so you, you turn your affection to him. He's going to turn his affection to you. And, and it's not... The whole time I woke up this morning, Sinus was there and oh, groaning and 66 years of age was there. <laughs> and, and so I needed to speak to myself. And I turned to the Father and told him where I was and what was going down. And then I, and, and, and I told him in English where I was and how I needed him today for these poor people over here. But I, I told him, and then I stopped. I ran out of words, and the, the spirit within gave me, oh, see, I don't know. I was speaking to him in the language of the spirit. Uh, he who speaks in the tongue speaks to God, but it's gibberish, nonsense. You're speaking to God. By faith, you're speaking to God. I don't know if this is making sense to you, Lord, but I believe. And, and then I started praying in tongues and praying in the Spirit. And all of a sudden, I was able to shave and not take a, get a fright when I looked at my face in the mirror. <laughs> I had coffee with Malcolm, who insisted on sharing his, his, his devotions with me when I was in a hurry to prepare, the great man had to prepare a word. <laughs> he said to me, but Pat, I've got to share this with you. Okay, Mel. <laughs> and he said, Jesus said, I'm going to my God and your God. I'm going to my father and your father. And he said to me, I thought, well, that's where I'm going this morning. And that's where we are going this morning. He's our father. The ultimate purpose of your salvation is to know him. And so Haldin said, there's that moment of the baptism of the Holy Spirit where you have an overflow, and there's like the first time, where the love of God overwhelms you. But he says, it's an ongoing dynamic. He uses the illustration of a man walking with his little, like three-year-old son, hand in hand, walking with his son. And all of a sudden, he stops in his tracks, picks up the three-year-old, arms around him oh I love you my boy well I was with my grandson uh, about 10 days ago on the beach at San Lamia and I had a couple of moments when I could you know, pick him up he's not running away from me <laughs> put him in my arms and hug him and say I love you as you walk intentionally with the Holy Spirit there were moments when the Father's just going to pick you up. <laughs> he's just going to pick you up and give you a, mm, mm, I love you. Hallelujah. He always loves us. There are moments of glory. <laughs> you, 
you're a beloved child. That's who you were and who you are. You're a beloved child. Is that not wonderful? Hallelujah. I really don't know where I am right now. <laughs> but how did you become what you are? How did you become what you are? How did this great change take place? What moved you from orphan to, to child of God? Well, it's by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption. The, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. It's monumentally massive as a statement. And you, you need to memorize, have that in your, your mind. The great change came through the blood of Christ. Um, and so it's in him we have redemption through his blood. The gospel, and I, I say this advisedly, it's a gospel of blood. There's, there's not another gospel. It may not be sweet in today's, you know, sophisticated environments, but it's a gospel of blood, and we, we, we mustn't lose that. And, um, but how do we come into the presence of God? I'm sort of backtracking a little bit. Well, the temptation of, and the story of all religions, including the Christian one, is that you get there by your works. We're aware of the guy, I think it's in, Luke 18, verses I don't know, about 4 to 9. The, you know, the, the chappie who stands up in the church and says, oh, I pay my tithes. I'm, I'm here every Sunday. You know, I'm not like other men. And he's trumpeting himself. And back at the, in the back pew is Chaba Joe. And Chaba Joe is he's so guilty. Oh, God, have mercy upon me. And Jesus said, he went away justified. What's well, a point over here? Is that there's a, uh, there needs to be a mindset change. Is that we, religion says you start at the bottom of the ladder and you stop swearing, stop smoking, stop drinking. I go, oh, I didn't quite well. And uh, don't watch anything shoddy. Oh, I'm really shaping up. Don't have a fight with your wife. Um, we'll skip that rung. And... <laughs> And you, you climb up the ladder and the Holy Spirit illumines you along the way and you get a little bit more light and a little bit of light and you climb up the ladder until eventually you've got your hand on the top rung of the ladder and you slip all the way down to the bottom. That's the story of trying to get to God through another way than the blood of Christ, through your own efforts. And Wesley tried, I mean he was a missionary going over to, to America and I think with the Moravians, he sort of really came to faith with them uh, and with the work of the Lord. With, with Luther, uh, Luther was, he fasted so much that he like destroyed his gut and he confessed until the oaks pleaded with him not to bring piffle little sins, you know, go and do something substantial. <laughs> it's sort of true. <laughs> but what was it? It was human effort to try and climb the ladder. The ladder of acceptance. The ladder of spirituality. And we need to understand. We do not climb the ladder. We come to a place where we can't do it. Salvation is something that's done to us. It's the actions of another. 
uh, it has happened to you. God, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. It's his action. It's this, it's this mighty power of the, of the resurrection of Jesus powerfully at work. It's his action. And so um, that's what the gospel says. Um, and so in a sense, and this is what the Lord gave me when I was on holiday. I despaired of reading books. I was playing soccer and trittling six-month-old babies, which I loved doing, and, you know, and brying. I, I, my, my books were virtually untouched. But I had one thought on hospital. Well, on hospital, on hospital, on holiday. <laughs> I could tell you which ward I was in as well. <laughs> But the, this is the truth. It's not just a thought. It's the truth. You do not climb the rungs of the ladder and get a little bit of light and a little bit more light. You start at the top of the ladder. You're at the top of the ladder through the blood of Christ. It's the actions of another. It's what he's done. It's his performance. It's not yours. Now, I'm not annihilating sanctification right now. But I'm actually building justification by faith as the place where we start. You wake up in the morning. And no matter how you feel, uh, and no matter what you said yesterday, start on the top of the ladder. The Lord will sort you out during the day. You start on the top of the ladder. You know, I have an Irish passport. And an Irishman uh, would say to another Irishman, hey, top of the morning to you. Not so, top of the morning. And, and a good Irishman would respond, thank you. But some of the real ones say, and to you the rest of the day. That's a good way to start the day, top of the morning. Um, nobody knows where it comes from. We think it's the oak who got up early and stole the top of the milk, the cream. We think. Anyhow, you get the point of top of the morning. I want to change. I want to convert top of the morning to top of the ladder to you. Uh, say to the person next to you, top of the ladder to you. And respond to them and say, to you the rest of the day. Hallelujah. We're the top of the ladder, people. Praise God. And it's not, okay, I know I'm doing a jokey right now, but it's the truth. It's the truth. You know, you, if, if your body, when you get older, doesn't work the way you want it to work. You know, there was a stage I could go for a jog. Now I go for a brisk walk. School age. <laughs> and we live through our bodies, and our bodies don't feel lacquer. We don't feel lacquer. Top of the ladder. You position yourself through the blood of Christ. And you, 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 that's where you place yourself. I, I don't want to do a discredit to some sanctification. But while you're on the top of the ladder, the Lord will be steering you into situations and you'll be reading your, your in a sense, your spiritual pulse. You say, why am I so anxious? And the Holy Spirit is working through the Word and the Spirit and through circumstance and He's showing you that you're trusting in something else and you're not trusting in the Lord. He's, he's, he's delivering you from deep pockets of independence so that you can live a life of dependence where we're meant to live, be dependent upon the Lord, trusting in Jesus, 
depending upon him in every circumstance. And so the work of sanctification takes place while you're on the top of the ladder. You're not groveling on rung number one, uh, feeling guilty. You're on the top of the ladder. Hallelujah. Okay. Daryl, can I just have three ways? Paul, this is a very bad joke, but it's just in my mind. I tell you how to stand top of the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> three ways to stay on top of the ladder. I want to give you three ways to stay on top of the ladder. Okay, are you ready? The first is, put my glasses on. <laughs> Hebrews 12, verse 22 to 24. We're coming to this, you know, great congregation and the rest of it, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than Abel. It's the blood of Christ. And so the word of Abel says, punishment to you, Cain. Judgment's coming your way. You're going to get what you deserve. Your comeuppance is yours. That's the, that's the voice of the blood of Abel. That speaks. But let the voice of the blood of Christ speak. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're covered in his righteousness. Uh, your sins have been imputed to him. His righteousness has been imputed to you. you you're, you're on the top of the ladder. The blood of Christ speaks. Let it speak resoundingly. When you've done the worst thing you could ever think you've ever done, turn to him and say, Oh, have mercy. We come with boldness before a throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We, we, it's, it's an invitation. Come. Come with, come with confidence because he's got mercy and grace. He forgives your sins. The blood of Christ speaks. Let in all the voices that we're subject to, do, to in our modern world, let the voice of the blood of Christ resonate within your mind. It speaks a better word. Hallelujah. That's how you stay on top of the ladder. That's how you stay on top of the ladder. The second way is that you, you to live in dependence upon the blood of Christ. Hebrews 9 verse 14. And how much more will the blood of Christ purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? This means that you, you want to draw near the Lord, you want to pray, and your conscience suddenly starts getting all squidgy and, and, and starts troubling you and reminds you of your sins, what you've done, and what, the sins that you've done, the sins that you confessed, and the sins that you confessed again and again and again. It's come to remind you. Conscience is troubled. And in some ways, you need to speak to your conscience. Hey, listen, conscience. Conscience, you're sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. You can be silent. And then all of a sudden, the liberation of God comes into your heart and your mind. You're not bedeviled by a troubled conscience, accusing others, excusing yourself, and ducking and diving. All of a sudden, your conscience is clean by the blood of Christ. You're able to hear the voice of God and get on and serve the living God. Hallelujah. It's how you stay on top of the ladder. Finally, my friends, I don't know how long I should have been preaching for, but this is the finale. What do you do when you slip off the ladder? What do you do when you slip off the ladder? I think it's 1 John chapter 1. It's not, 
if you sin. You will sin. I mean, don't plan it. Don't have intent in your heart. But you will sin. You will sin. Stuff happens. And, and you know, you, you get cloudy in your mind. You say, you do, you have bad attitudes. Stuff happens. And then you're aware of it. And you're still on top of the ladder, but you feel like you've slipped down a few rungs. If we acknowledge, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. He has paid the price. He's faithful. He's done it. But this is the umpteenth time I've been over the same thing. Go again. And so you come to Him and you acknowledge and confess your sins. And it says there, and the blood of Christ cleanses us. Now, he will forgive your sins. That's the thing you know about. And then he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what you don't know about. The blood of Jesus is powerfully at work, setting us apart in the, in the work of sanctification that we live on top of the ladder. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Praise Jesus. Let's stand together. Now, but I tell you right now, one of the biggest things I want to do, because I've been away for quite a few days, I'm away for a few minutes, one of the biggest things I want to do is to say to her, I love you. I love you. I mean, I can say it over, and I have, I've already said it this morning, but God wants you, he's given you a voice. You don't have to scream and shout, you can. But tell your father, give him your affection, even if you don't feel it now. And tell him that you love him. Close your eyes. Let's just pray together. Just pray out loud all of you. Father, I love you. Oh, I love you. Thank you that you know the number of hairs on my head and you watch over me. Nothing takes place apart from what you know about. You're in charge, and I want to tell you that I love you, and I want to thank you for sending your son and giving him up to evil men. And I want to bless you, Jesus, for dying and taking my sins upon yourself. Father, I love you for sending him, and I love you for for. For, for enabling all that your son accomplished for me to experience your Holy Spirit. The love of God is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given. We want to say we love you. Oh, Father, we love you. I, I want you to just raise your hands. I pray over this company today that the Father's blessing, the Holy Spirit may be imparted to you right now. Say, Father, I receive a fresh impartation of your Holy Spirit's power upon me. You're going to transform me. You're going to bring light into my home, into my family, into my work, into my future. You're going to be there for me. I'm going to know you and love you, and I'm going to experience kisses from you in the most unusual moments of life. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, I, I just want to sing Wunder's old song. 
your voice up to him. Oh, we praise you. We praise you. We love you. Oh, we welcome your Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Daryl. 